And when you're on a football field and you're out there and you're giving everything you got and it gets down late in the game, you've got to put forth a lot of effort if you're going to be successful towards the end of the game. Many times, some of you who follow football, you know this, many times games are won and lost in the fourth quarter. If you're going to be successful, you have to... Winners never can quit. But on the other hand, quitters will never win. Now, this passage that we're looking at this morning, it's probably one of the most misunderstood passages in the entire Bible. If you grew up in a church that teaches that you can lose your salvation, Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 through 6 would have been a passage that your pastor or some of your leaders would have looked to and said, this very clearly says that you can lose your salvation. But if you grew up in a, a Southern Baptist church, and we, you know, Southern Baptists are kind of this people who say, well, man, bless God, if you're once saved, you're always saved. And uh, you probably have no idea how in the world you wrap, you have to wrap your mind around Hebrews 6, verses 4 through 6. And I'm going to be very honest. Once saved, always saved can be very damning in your life if you don't understand what once saved, always saved really means. I trusted in once saved, always saved. I remember going forward at uh, some point when I was a child and uh, come going down to the altar at Langston Baptist Church and um, prayed to receive Christ and was uh, went and was baptized, but I could never remember a time in my life where I really served Jesus. And I can remember being in high school when when I lived like a heathen, I was talking with a young lady one, one morning there at school when somehow the topic of church and Christianity come up and I made the statement that I was a Christian. And you could tell by her expression that she didn't think I was a Christian. Uh, she gave me a weird look where, where she was like, well, if you're a Christian, then pigs can fly. You know, that's kind of what she looked like on her face. I believed I was a Christian because I, I bought into this idea where once saved, always saved. I went forward, I said a prayer, therefore I'm saved and I can never lose that. There are going to be multitudes of people in hell because they thought that they've said a prayer and that meant that they're saved and they can go live their life however they want to. And so that brings us to a question. If, if you can tell, I'm trying to be as serious as I can possibly be this morning because this is a difficult passage, but it's also very challenging. So how do we do with, deal with this question of losing your salvation or being once saved, always saved? There's two principles when it comes to understanding the Bible that you need to understand as we come to this passage. Uh, first of all, when I come to the Bible, when I'm studying the Bible, I come with, the, with this knowledge that the Bible does not contradict itself. You see, sometimes we come to the Bible and we say, well, the Bible says one thing here, it says one thing there, so I just don't know. It just seems like the Bible's contradicting itself, and so I'm just not going to study it at all. I don't come with that idea. I come with the idea that the, the Bible has been sovereignly given to us, and when it seems like there is an apparent contradiction, the thing that we should do is that we should press into it and we should dig and try to study because oftentimes it's in those studies that God blesses us the most. But now here's the second thing. As we try to understand this, 
the, the biblical principle is this. We use clear passages that we understand for sure this is what God is saying to us. We use clear passages to shed light on difficult passages. So in other words, and you've got two different passages, and she, they, they, one seems to be saying this, one seems to be saying that. Which one do you know without a shadow of a doubt that's what it's saying? Well, when you understand that, we'll let that one shed light on the other passages. And when you do that and you come to the Scriptures, you understand that there are a lot of verses in your Bible that teach eternal security. Now, I use that term eternal security very intentionally and not to say once saved, always saved. Now, I've got four passages of Scripture. Each one's going to be on the screen. and, and so, so just follow along with me and notice what the Scriptures say about this idea of eternal security. John 6, going to be on the screen. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Now listen to this verse. And this is the will of him who sent me. That I should lose nothing of all that he has given to me, but I will raise it up on the last day. John 10, just a couple chapters later, starting in verse 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one shall snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. Sounds pretty clear to me. Romans 8, 29 and 30. For those whom He foreknew, He predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that uh, He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He called. Those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. If He called you, He justified you. If He justified you, He's going to glorify you. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, notice this language, you were sealed, sealed, signed, and delivered with the promised Holy Spirit, who is, now listen to this, the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. You see that? Over and over and over again. Here's what the Bible is saying. There is such a thing as eternal security for those who have surrendered their life to, to King Jesus. No one's going to snatch you out of His hand. You've been sealed. You have a guarantee. You have all of these things that you find in the Scriptures. So with those verses in mind, look at Hebrews 6, verses 4 through 6. Read these together. For it is impossible... In the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, and have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the Word of God, and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm, and holding Him up to contempt. So these verses raise at least two huge questions. First of all, it really seems like it says that you can lose your salvation. And secondly, it seems to imply that if you lose it, you can never get it back. And so here's what I want to do. How do we deal with those questions? How do we deal with these things that just seem to be misleading, that just seem to be in, in contradiction to one another? Two statements I want to make. 
Here's the first statement. First of all, when we come to this passage, here's what I believe about it. I believe that it's a general statement to a church group that is made up of both genuine and superficial believers. And so, in other words, this church, Bethel Baptist Church, is made up of people that are genuine believers, superficial believers. uh, Those who really have surrendered their lives to Jesus Christ and those who are really going through the motions. And so, in other words, the, the, the author of Hebrews, it's not writing to a certain person it's writing to a general church and so he's making a a general statement to a group of people that has lost people and saved people in it now think about it in every church you have this group Uh, there are those who get caught up in a movement those who and those who really never deal with jesus christ there are those who participate only on the outside you know they come they get excited they know the songs uh, they've, they've said a prayer, they go through baptism, they do this, maybe even join a small group, but they never really deeply embrace Jesus Christ. You, you with me? There, there are those there. And so I believe that these words, once enlightened, they shared in the Holy Spirit, they tasted of the goodness of word. They're descriptions of a movement as a whole than any one person. And so as, 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 a, as people who are a part of this movement, they've all shared in those things. And so in other words, here's essentially what he's saying. Look, if you've seen the glory of Jesus, you've been convinced of the truth of his resurrection, only to return intentionally to your sin, what else is there left to say? What could possibly more con- be more convincing? That Jesus died for you and was resurrected, and for you to, to spurn that and go back to your old way, what else is left to say that, hey, there, there's no hope for you? And then you look in, in verses 7 and 8, and he uses this, uh, this farming analogy. The land that is drunk in the rain that often falls on it, it produces a crop useful for those uh, for whose sake it is cultivated. It receives a blessing. So in other, word, in other words, when you go out and, and the land is tilled, the seed is planted, it's fertilized, God, God puts his water on it, I mean, it, 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 everything is conducive there for growth. But then what happens when, when all of that land, it just produces thorns? All of these briars grow up in it. What, what's the... What's the one thing that you can say about that? Well, that land must not be very conducive to growth. In the same way, if you hear the gospel, I mean, you really understand the severity of your sin. You understand the judgment that you deserve. You understand that Jesus died for you, that he was glad to die for you. You've seen lives change. You've come to church. You've been here. You've seen lives that have been changed by the glory of God. You've seen the Spirit move in ways that you have no explanation. You've seen the evidence of God's truth in His Word. But then you say, well, it's not for me. What else is there to say to you? What, what else is there for, to convince you that Jesus really is who He says He is? It speaks more to the soil of your own heart than it does to the God who is trying to win you. And so he's, he's saying this to a, to a group of people. There's some of them are lost, and there's some of them that are genuinely saved. But in that movement, in that group of people, everyone shares. Everyone is a part of the tasting. Everyone is a part of, of the power. They, they, they've seen that to some degree. And so it's, it's a general statement to a group of people. But now here's the second statement. This passage teaches us something extremely important about salvation. It teaches us that authentic, that genuine, that real salvation, it always endures to the end. 
It always endures to the end. It has to endure to the end. Listen to these passages. Hebrews 3, verse 14. For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Do you see that? Hebrews 6, even verse 11, you see it in this text. And we desire each of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope when? Until the end. Jesus once told the parable of the soils. Y'all remember that? Some of it um, fell by the wayside. Some of it, here's where it's for us, fell among the rocky soil. When it fell among the rocky soil, it, it, it sprang up. But then when the problems of life came up, when the sun came up and began to beat upon it, that plant withered and died because it had no depth, it had no roots. That's referring to a lost person. Uh, that, that's given a picture of the person that, uh, that comes forward on Sunday morning or comes forward at, at some point. They surrender their life to Jesus Christ. They get saved. They get baptized, or you think they get saved. Man, for, a, for just a few moments, or maybe even for a, even a couple of years, they're on fire for Jesus. It looks like they're getting ready to be the next Billy Graham or the next Beth Moore or the next Priscilla Schreier. And the next thing you know, they have fallen back into their ways. They are falling back into the world, and they don't want to have anything else to do with Jesus Christ. That's exactly the kind of person that Jesus is referring to here in the parable of the soils. It's the person that uh, is the seed that falls on uh, the rocky ground. And that person who, who withers and dies, he wasn't saved and then lost his salvation. The, the fact that they turned their back on God and, and went their own way is evidence that they were never saved to begin with. Listen to this. It's going to be on the screen. 1 John 2.19 makes this abundantly clear in, in my eyes. 1 John, John said there, they went out from us. And so, in other words, they left the church. They, they left us. Why? They weren't, they weren't from us. Because he says, if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. In other words, they would have endured with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are not of us. I want you to listen to me very clearly. Saying a prayer and asking Jesus into your heart, even if you start out really strong, is not proof of your salvation. You know what proof of your salvation is? Enduring to the end. If I'm honest, and we've seen this here in our church, we, in, in fact, Dana, uh, this past Sunday, was the 30th person that we've baptized since I've been here. Yep, you're one of them. Garrett's like, me? I counted this week. Nine out of that 30. I don't know where they are. They're not here. You, you say, why do you say it? Because it's not how you start that matters. It's how you finish. And you can start out really good, but that's not the evidence of your salvation. The evidence of your salvation is, is how you come to the end. You see, we, we use this term, once saved, always saved, and I, and I think it's to, the, to our detriment. Here, here would be a better description. Once saved, always following. Man, if you really surrender your life to Jesus Christ, uh, you have no choice but to endure to the end. 
You're always following Him. And in a church, there are genuine and there are imposter Christians. And what God's Word is saying to you this morning is that if you think you're going to be okay to go back to your old way of life, if you think you can just put Jesus on a shelf and, and come to Him when you need Him, because you said, this is not in my notes, and so maybe, maybe some of you just need to hear this. I heard this week John Piper um, said, most of us treat Jesus like a lug wrench. Y'all know what a lug wrench is? You, know, you change a tire. You know? when, do you, when do you pull out your lug wrench? When you need it, right? That's how most of us treat Jesus. Pastor, I got this going on, and I got this. Let me, get, let, let me go get my lug wrench. I only pull it out when I need it. You don't talk, when's the last time you had a conversation, uh, you went into a conversation, hey, let's talk about our lug wrenches. We don't, we don't do that, do we? Because we only pull those things out when we need it. That's, that's how most of us treat Jesus. So here's the church, just save people, lost people, and, and we think, oh man, I can just put him on a shelf, I can go back to it, but that, that's not real, that's not real faith. faith. Faith that is real is faith that endures to the very end. And here's the problem. Some of you have already gone back. Maybe it's not you. Maybe it's your children. Maybe it's your grandchildren. Maybe, maybe it's your, your mother or your father. And, and you think, well, man, they, they, I, me or they, we've fallen headlong back into the culture. We, we know we're not living the way that God wants us to be. Can we be saved? Because this passage seems to imply that, that if, you, if you, are, you partake in these things, you, you see these things, it says it's impossible for those who were once enlightened to restore them again to repentance. Can they be saved? It cannot mean, this passage cannot mean, that those who fall into sinful habits after they've been saved can never be made right with God. Well, how do you know that? Well, again, it goes back to that principle. Clearer passages give light to more difficult passages. You say, well, what clearer passages are you talking about? Oh, man, it's all throughout the Scriptures. All throughout the Scriptures, you read about men who were following Jesus and following hard after the Lord, and they fell into sin. And I'm not talking about just, uh, you know, made a mistake. I'm talking about men who really fell into sin. Peter. Y'all remember Peter? At one moment, Peter says, hey, Jesus, man, I I would die for you. In In the next moment, what you're reading three different times as Jesus is arresting. Uh, somebody asked, hey, hey, Peter, aren't, weren't, weren't you with him? No, I don't, I don't know that man. Three different times Peter denies him. And immediately, Peter is restored when he repents. Think about this. David committed adultery with Bathsheba. He had her husband killed, and then he lied to cover it up. For almost a year, I mean, this is not just a moment, almost a year, David tried to keep this under wraps before God sent Nathan, the prophet, to bring it to light. Abraham doubted God so much that on two different occasions, he told someone that his wife was his sister and that the person who he was talking to could basically have his wife for his wife. He was restored to. All throughout the scriptures, People who are following God fall into seasons of sin and can be restored. So here's what I want you to understand. Jesus said that if you are willing to repent, 
He is willing to forgive you. So what does it mean that it will be impossible to restore them to repentance? God said this in Genesis. God said in Genesis that the people had gotten so wicked, He said, my spirit will not always strive with them. Uh, Jesus said it in Luke, I think it's chapter 11, uh, that there is such a thing as a blasphemy of the Holy Spirit that can never be forgiven. It's when you say to God over and over and over again, no thanks, I don't need you right now. At some point, as the Spirit of God is striving with you and is, is trying to get you to come to faith in Christ, at some point, if you continue to say no, what the Bible is saying, at some point... God is going to say, okay, I'm done. Well, how do you know that? We don't know. It's not like God says, I'm, I'm going to strive with you 4,999 times, that if you ever get to the 5,000th time, I'm done. The Bible never says that. The Bible just says, there's going to come a time that I'm going to, I'm going to work with you, I'm going, to try, I'm going to try to work to draw you, but I'm only going to do it for so long. And at some point, I'm just going to say, nope, I'm not doing this anymore. Have it your way. And he's going to give you over to have your dreams, your desires, and your heart. But you're going to be lost. You say, well, how do I know I get to that point? Well, if you're worried about your getting to that point, that's a good indicator that you had not gotten to that point just yet. And let me say this. Because you don't know whoever who's getting to that point, don't ever use that thought or that truth to keep you from praying and witnessing to those who you think might get to that point. As long as there is breath in your body or breath in, in your son or your daughter's body or whoever your loved, loved one is that you're concerned about, as long as they have breath in their body, you pray for them, you do everything you can uh, to, to do your very best to get them to come to know Jesus as their Savior. The Bible is full of people that we think that they would be beyond all hope, but God can miraculously save them. He took a guy who had murdered Christians and was um, was a, a persecutor of the church and changed him from Saul to Paul, and he became the greatest missionary to ever live on planet Earth. Hey, listen to me. I don't care how many times you've heard this. I don't care how many times you've said no. What I care about is right now. Right now, you have the opportunity to trust Jesus. Right now, you have the opportunity to repent and to turn from your sins. Today, you have the opportunity to have everything you have ever done wrong, forgiven by trusting in what Jesus Christ did for you on the cross. See, it's true. Some people give their life to Jesus and for a period of time, they'll fall back into sin. David did it for almost a year. Now, did you, did you see the, hear the song we sang earlier? Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel. Prone to leave the God I love. We're prone to struggle with sin. Proverbs 24, 16 speaks of a righteous man falling seven times, but each time he gets back up. Each time you fall into sin, you repent, you get out of that. But if you never get out of it, then it's evidence you never had genuine faith to begin with. J.D. Greer, he makes this analogy. I'll just kind of pull this chair up. Or maybe I'll just leave it right here. He makes this analogy. He says genuine faith is like sitting down in a chair. If you're going to sit down in a chair, you have faith that chair is going to hold you, right? 
None of us sit down in a chair knowing or even thinking. Mm, I'm not sure this is going to hold me. Let me test it out, right? No, genuine faith is when you sit down in that chair and you rest in this chair. This chair does all the work. Christ does all the work. You rest in Him. You're completely surrendered to Him. Everything that you have. My life is a living sacrifice to King Jesus. I stay seated in Him. If at any moment I get up from this chair, I'm no longer depending in this chair. I'm depending upon myself in that moment. And what many of us like to do is we like to look back and we like to say, Hey, preacher, I'm saved. I said a prayer on October 22nd, 2001. And what I want to do is I want to look at you and say, I don't care what prayer you prayed, you're not sitting in the chair any longer. Well, preacher, I, I, I got really emotional at youth camp and I said this prayer. I, I don't care, you're not seated in Christ any longer. You see, your, your present position is a better indicator of what your salvation is than, than remembering a past date. If right now you're not seated in surrender to Jesus Christ, that says something about your relationship with Christ. Today, is what the writer of Hebrews said in Hebrews 3, today, do not harden your heart as they did in rebellion in the wilderness. Today, if you're willing, if the Spirit of God is prompting you today, your sins can be forgiven. Today can be the day that you get seated in Christ. I want you to bow your heads and just close your eyes. It's right where you are. Father, thank you for who Jesus is. Thank you for what he's done for us. And Lord, today, Lord, would you draw people to yourself? Maybe it's someone who recently prayed a prayer. Maybe it's someone who prayed a prayer like I did as a child, but, but now they're not resting in you. Father, I ask in Jesus' name that your spirit would move in a mighty way during this invitation. Lord, work. For your glory. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You guys go ahead and stand up with us. I'm going to sing this song, Amazing Grace. My chains are gone. Today, would you come? Asking Jesus Christ to be Lord of your life. Maybe you're the person that you're struggling with sin in the moment. You believe that you really surrendered your life to Jesus, but... You're having a time or a moment or season like David did or maybe like Peter did or Abraham. Today, would you come and get your life right with Christ? Don't strive with God's Spirit forever.
Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace. gone I've been set free my God my Savior has ransomed me and like a flood His mercy reigns unending love amazing for our kids, and so we, I'd encourage all of you to come out 6 p.m. Uh, adults will be over there, children will be over there, some of our teenagers will, will be there. Uh, we'll have a good time together uh, there tonight, and so we'd love to have you come out and be a part of that uh, with us tonight at 6 o'clock. And so um, 